Well, good morning. Oh, thank you. I felt good. Hey, uh, I don't know if you know this, but Christmas is uh, is right around the corner. Um, uh, we got two weeks left till Christmas comes up, and, uh, and and when we were kids, and we would hear like, "Hey, two weeks till Christmas," we'd be like, "Oh man, that seems like forever." But I just want to remind you guys, as adults, there are two weeks till Christmas. <laughs> Is actually happening, and so it just time seems to like. I mean, we don't have enough time. It's like, oh crap, I got to get a lot done between now and then. But when we were kids, Christmas couldn't come fast enough, right? Like it's like we are waiting, we are waiting. Especially like Christmas Eve, that day seemed to take forever. And if maybe maybe you're like me, and you're like uh, when you were a kid, did any of you confession time here go and uh, search for your Christmas presents? You could not wait whatsoever. So you went out and you searched. How many of you actually found them? Raise your hand on that one. There you go. Any of you brave enough to actually uh, um, open them and play with them at that time? Any? All right, just a couple sinners in the audience. There you are. That's awesome. That's so great. Yeah, I did not do that because I was a good kid. Um, but no, <laughs> uh, we had a tradition. I could never wait, 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 wait till Christmas. But one of our traditions was we, uh, Santa would always leave an uh, unwrapped Christmas present in front of the tree. The big one, the big tamale. It was always there. And so when we would come down on Christmas morning, we expected to run into, and then there was that, that, uh, that, uh, that present there. And, and my family, we weren't allowed to go into the living room. And I don't know why we actually obeyed this every single year. Um, but we weren't allowed to go into the living room until mom and dad were there. But mom and dad, man, they would just take their time. Like we're screaming like, hey, Santa has come, you know. Come downstairs. Come help us. And so I remember we would, uh, we would sit by the fire. That was our job, by the, by, the, by the fireplace. And we would have to wait and we'd wait and we'd wait and we'd wait. And it was so frustrating. And finally, mom and dad would come and then they need to get their coffee. And you're like, ugh, you know. And there was this, there was this from the living room to the, to the entryway, there was hardwoods. And I remember at that line, that was the line where me and my sisters would line up. And I mean, we literally would line up for the moment that mom and dad said go, and we could not wait, and we'd go, and we'd slip, and we'd run into the front door, and then, <gasps> there it is, Santa came, and it was glorious, but that time of waiting was so difficult. Anybody with me on that? So difficult, it's hard to wait, and it is that dynamic, that dynamic of waiting, 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 that really set up the first Christmas, the very first Christmas, because for generations, a handful, there was a, a remnant, a group of Jewish people were waiting. And what were they waiting for? Christmas. They were not waiting for Santa to show up. Old Saint Nick wasn't going to make it. They were waiting for a Messiah. There was a promise that there would be a Messiah. And so they lived their lives hoping, thinking, praying, dwelling on the fact that, that, that soon a Messiah was going to come. And the difference for us is unlike our certainty of Christmas, right? We know it's going to happen every year, December 25th, ready or not, here it comes. For them... They didn't have this certainty. There was no certainty that this, that this was going to be the day. In fact, 99.9999% of, of people that lived, of the Jewish people that lived at that time, did not see the fulfillment of this promise. They did not see the fulfillment. But yet, generation after generation, there was always this small group. There was this handful of people that would wait and they would live their lives as if the Messiah was coming. And so today what I want to do is I want to introduce you to two of those people. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 1. We're going to be talking about the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah. 
And as you turn there, let me, let me talk to you just quickly about why this story is important. It's really the prequel to Christmas. It's the story before the story of Christmas. And the reason it's important is uh, that this is, is because at some point in our Christian experience, in my Christian experience, and eventually yours, um, if you haven't experienced this yet, we will feel at some point there'll be seasons, there'll be periods, and potentially even years where we'll feel like God is absent. That God feels absent from us. He's far away. He's kind of quiet. He's kind of silent. We can't truly hear from him. And so if you haven't experienced this, you will at some point. Because for all of us, there's this period where he seems silent or he's quiet or he's almost inactive. Right? We feel like he's just not there. And we'll ask ourselves in the middle of this, this time or this period, why am I doing this? Right? Why am I, why am I showing up? Why am I serving? Why am I giving? Why am I obeying? Why don't I just make that shady deal? Or why don't I just move in with him? Or why don't I just cheat just a little bit on this? Why am I living as if the Bible is true? Why do I live as if this faith thing is actually real? Why do I live when God feels so distant? Maybe you're like, oh man, it's been my faith of my parents' faith. And it's like, maybe that's it. I'm a product of my circumstances. My parents believe, so I believe. But if I really think about it and I'm living for this thing, I just, I don't know if it's a myth. I don't know if it's a fairy tale. Why am I doing this? Where in the world is this going? And if you've ever had that question, or if you've ever had that thought enter into your mind, the Christmas story is truly for you. It is for you, it is for me. The story of Zechariah, the story of Elizabeth, in some ways is our story. It is your story, and it is my story. And so what I want to do to start off this whole Christmas Emmanuel season is to talk about the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And so, again, Luke chapter 1, verse 5, here's how the story begins. It says, In the time of Herod, and so this is Herod the Great or Herod the Not-So-Great, because he's the one who killed all the babies in Bethlehem. In the, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was a descendant of Aaron, which this meant this, is that these two individuals come from a priestly line of Aaron, all the way back to Moses and Aaron. They come from this priestly line. That means this. It means that their daddy was a preacher. And it means that their grandpa was a preacher, and their great-grandpa was a preacher, and their great-great-great-great-great-great-grandpa was a preacher. So they come from this heritage, this long line of religious leaders. Verse 6, here's what it says. Both of them, Zechariah and Elizabeth, were righteous in the sight of God, which meant that according to God, they were doing it right. They were living right. They weren't sinless, let's be careful on that, but they were doing it right. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands. Now, if you've read the Old Testament, there are a lot of commands. Some people believe there's just ten commands. Nope. In the Old Testament, they have commands for their commands for their commands. They have lots of these. And according to this, that Elizabeth and Zechariah, they obeyed. They observed all of these. And how did they do it? It goes on to say they obeyed the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. So that meant if you were to send a private investigator to look at their lives to see how they're doing, they would uncover nothing. They would, there would be nothing that they're hiding, that they are living completely blamelessly. And here's what's crazy about the way in which they were living. This is super, super huge. They were living based on promises that were made 
thousands of years before. In fact, not only that, they were living in a time where God hadn't spoken to people for 700 years. You think God's silent. We're like, oh man, I haven't heard from God in like a month. It's been crazy, right? 700 years the nation of Israel hadn't heard from God. And yet, these two individuals, these, this couple, got up every day and anticipated Christmas coming. They were looking and lived as if the Messiah was on the way, as if God was right there. They were blameless, righteous, faith-filled people. And so they're living it, and they're doing it right. And how is that working out for them? Unfortunately, it wasn't working out too well, because look at the next verse. It says, but they were childless, because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. And that's hard, right? So let's, let's get this straight here. They get up day after day after day after day after day. They go and serve in the temple. They keep all of God's commands, and yet, and they do it blamelessly, and yet this God who they serve, who has been silent, faithfully they're serving him, have not provided them with an heir. They've not given them kids. And in this culture, right, it was always the woman's fault for not bearing a kid. And the reason it was a woman's fault is because they don't have the medical understanding that we have today. And so they just assumed she can't have a baby, therefore it's her fault. And I don't want to be mean on this. As important as it is to give birth and to have children here, back in that culture, that culture, okay, that was about all a woman was good for. They weren't educated, okay? They, weren't, they had no, um, like, political um, clout in anything. They had barely any rights. And so what, what they were primary function back then at that time was simply to give birth to children. And not only that, there was this religious stigma because God decided who lived, God decided who died, which person gave birth, which person didn't. And so if you were unable to have a child at that period of time, then there must be something wrong. There was this stigma that you were cursed by God, that there was this unspoken, unseen sin, and therefore you lived in shame. And that's exactly how Elizabeth lived. She lived in shame. She shouldn't have. She was righteous. She was right standing, right? But she lived with shame and pain, and she did that throughout her younger years. She did that throughout her middle years. And as we'll see, she did that into her latter years. As the verse ends, it says this, And they, Zacharias and Elizabeth, were both well advanced in years. It was over. It was too late. The window had closed. The door had shut. We'll find out later that they actually prayed. Like, like couples do when they walk through this situation. They prayed fervently that, Lord, would you please provide us with an heir? Will you please provide us with a child? And apparently God's answer was no. To prepare for this talk, I called a buddy of mine this week. Um, and I know that him and his wife, for the last few years, for quite some time now, have struggled with infertility. And it's been a real big deal for them. It's been really hard on them. And actually, the truth is, it's got to be really hard because if you walk around in this church, it seems like everybody's pregnant, right? If a lady slips and falls, oh my gosh, you got a baby. Congratulations. <laughs> and so in here, this church, I know specifically, it's very difficult for them to walk around and see, you know, we celebrate. Hey, my wife's pregnant. Garrett just had a baby, and we celebrate that. And every one of that is a reminder of the struggle that they can't have kids. 
And I asked him about that struggle a little bit, and he was telling me over the phone. We talked for about a half an hour, and he was telling me on how the ups and downs have come, that they would, they would try this thing, and the doctor would say, hey, this is a good way to go. This is going to happen. The chances of this are super positive, and then it doesn't happen. It results in nothing, and it results in nothing, and it's this up and down, and even catch this, they even question whether or not they've done something wrong, right? God, why would you do this to us? Seems super easy for everyone else. Why would you do this and allow this to be this? What have I done wrong? And they're turning and they're looking on their lives as if that God was using that as a punishment. And if you're here, and I know there's more than just them. I know that for a fact. You didn't do anything wrong, okay? It's not your fault. God's not punishing you because you haven't had kids. As you'll see here, sometimes he does things for a reason, and we don't know those reasons in the real time. Sometimes we won't learn them until eternity. I don't know why my daughter was born with brain cancer, right? I don't feel like I've done anything wrong. I miss her tremendously, but, but again, we've done nothing wrong. Sometimes it is what it is, and God allows what he allows for the reason that he did. And so with all of this, the infertility, the unanswered prayers, God's apparent absence, what's nuts about these two, based on promises thousands of years ago, is that Zechariah and Elizabeth remain faithful. And let me try to explain to you how ridiculously faithful they were. Because it's really impressive. And if you're not familiar with the Bible, I'm going to quickly give you an Old Testament survey. I'm going to kind of walk through the timeline of just how faithful they are. Because their faithfulness was based upon a promise that was made to a guy named Abram, who later became Abraham, 2,000 years earlier. Not 2,000 years ago when Jesus was around. 4,000 years ago, our time. 2,000 years ago, their time. Okay, and here's the promise that was made to Abraham. God said this directly to Abraham. He said, I will make you into a great nation. And if we think about it, that, that actually happened. And I will bless you and, make, and I will make your name great. And, and, and that happened too. Most of you knew who Abraham was when you walked in here today. You've heard of Abraham. And, and here's where it breaks down, starts to break down a little bit. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And for a while that happened. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And we're, we're still trying to figure that one out. And catch this. All peoples, all peoples on earth, that's everyone, will be blessed through you. Friends, this is the statement. This is the moment in history where Jews now, they believe, hey, we have been set apart. This is where the root idea of that came from. That they were set apart to be a blessing or to be blessed so that they could bless the rest of the world. It started with Abraham. And then Abraham became a father. And Father Abraham had many sons. And many sons had, there you go. If you know it, don't know what that is, you don't want to. Just, just let it go. And those, yeah, hokey pokey. The sons, right, those sons, Abraham's sons, what they did is they went to Egypt. And in Egypt, they became a nation. And then from there, they left Egypt. And it took them a little while, but they found their way to the promised land. And when they're in the promised land, they became a kingdom. And this is where things started to take off, okay? This is the, this is the time of David, King David. The little shepherd who became a king, right? They became from poverty to prosperity. This is the golden age of Solomon, where they truly were at the center of the world stage. Richest man in the world. They owned everything. They were the powerhouse. This was when everything was going great. And if there was ever a time in history 
When God was going to choose to use Israel to bless the rest of the world, this was it. This was that time. This was the striking moment. But unfortunately, it didn't happen. And things went downhill after that. They truly did. The nation split. And there were wars, and there were good kings, and there were bad kings. And catch this. This is crazy. Between the time of, of Solomon and this time between Zechariah and Elizabeth, the nation of Israel changed hands 25 times, over 25 times. They were invaded and owned by the Syrians, the Babylonians, the Greeks, the Persians. They went from this huge, great nation that they were, this humongous nation, and now they moved down to this, this pawn that people are passing around, people are conquering, people are owning, they're being invaded. And, and so how in the world is the question, how in the world is God going to bless the world through this nation when they've got no power, they've got no wealth, and they don't even have a catch this, they don't even have a say in their future, in their own future. How in the world is it going to happen? It wasn't going to happen. In fact, it couldn't happen at that time. And so finally, to bring insult to injury, this was the, cam this was the straw that broke the camel's back. Pompey the Great, the, the Roman general walks in and they take over Israel, right? They take over Jerusalem. And they walk in there and what he does is he comes in and he goes in, directly walks into the Holy of Holies. Now if you don't know what that is, inside of the temple, this is where the Jews believe that God dwelled, his physical presence on earth. And if any human were to go in there unannounced, God would strike them dead in that moment. And on that day, Pompey walked into Jerusalem. He walked past the temple guards. He walked past the temple priests. He walked into the Holy of Holies where God's presence dwelled, and nothing happened. He turned around, and he walked out. And word spread that Jupiter, the god of the Romans, the Roman god, is more powerful than Yahweh, the god of the Israelites, the god of the Jews. And Zechariah would have been a little boy when that happened. He would have been a tiny little boy. And no doubt, his father would have been a priest at that period of time. He would have been a priest. And no doubt, Zechariah remembers the day when his daddy came home. And he was so upset. And he tore his robes. And he was, he was inconsolable because the temple had been desecrated. Some guy walks in past everyone, ignores their customs, ignores their traditions, ignores everything that they had set up for thousands of years. He walks into the Holy of Holies, he looks around, and he walks out. And yet, this guy, right, this, this guy named Zachariah, that little boy, he decided with all that in the back of his mind, with all that, that God did nothing, he went into the priesthood. And every day he went and he worked at the temple and he was faithful. And he married Elizabeth, who was also faithful. And together, they lived a blameless life daily. And at this time, this is so important, many, 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 many Jews, many Jews walked away from God. They walked away from temple worship. They said, I don't believe in this anymore. God has been quiet for too long. If there was a God, he's not talking to us anymore. He's gone. It's over. It's done. And if you and I were to go at that time and we were to go up and, oh, poor Zachariah, poor Elizabeth, you guys, we want to console you. You guys, it's over. It's done. 
If there was a God, he is gone. Abraham, he had this promise. Yes, part of it came true, but it's over. It was great while it lasted. Great stories to tell our kids, but it's done. Because God has abandoned you. He's abandoned us. He is absent. He is far away. He is distant. God is gone. And if, catch this, if we would have said that to Zachariah and Elizabeth at that time, we would have been wrong. We would have been absolutely wrong. And the reason that Luke starts off the Christmas story with this story is because God was doing something brand new. He was just starting something that would bring apart the fulfillment of the promise that he gave to Abraham 2,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago for us. Here's how the story goes on. Verse 8. It says, once, when Zechariah's division was on duty... And he was serving as priest before God. He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So basically there are 23 groups of priests. And, uh, and just so happens that Zechariah's group got chosen that year. And it just so happens that Zechariah was chosen out of his groups of priests. And they casted lots. Or other words, they gambled. They used to believe that God was in the casting of lots. And so it was Zechariah who was selected. And this was a great honor for him to do. This was a very sacred occasion. This was something that would only happen to a priest maybe once in their lifetime. To go in and to offering the burning of incense. You get to literally go into the chamber that is just outside of the chamber of the Holy of Holies. So it's that curtain that was ripped in two when Jesus died on a cross. He was just outside of that where there was this, this, this table of incense. And in verse 10, here's what it says happens. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So all the other priests were hanging outside, and Zechariah was the only one that was allowed to go inside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense, which I love because this angel knows exactly where Zechariah is going and cuts him off, and he's waiting there for him. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled, and he was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, and this is the standard angel statement, you know, every single time an angel comes up, they feel like they got to just say this to get it out of the way, right? It's like, so do not be afraid, all right? And the reason that an angel has to say that is every time a human sees an angel, they're afraid, Right? They're afraid because I, I've heard people tell me, they, they've, I've had conversations with people who said they, they spoke with an angel or they had a conversation with an angel and they saw a light and it was so beautiful and it was so wonderful and delightful. And I'm like, that's not a Bible angel, right? I don't, I don't know about that, man. I don't know. Like, oh, I want to see God. I want God to speak to me. A lot of times when an angel showed up, the reason they're freaking out is they think that they're talking to God. They're that majestic, they're that big, they're that powerful. And so this angel cuts Zechariah off. He's in the chamber, right, by himself. Zechariah's there. He sees an angel, and Luke says he's gripped with fear. And he doesn't have to be because Zechariah is a good man, right? Like imagine if it were you walking in there at that time, or me, you know. Like, we'd be start confessing, Lord, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do this, and I, I, mean, I didn't mean to say that, and I know my, yeah, no, I can't, yeah. So we would start to confess, but here's what happened. The angel says to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayers, this is great, 
have been heard. Wouldn't that be nice? I mean, think about that. Not just that your prayers have been answered, okay? But once in a while, wouldn't it be great if an angel or a, like a really small angel or a cousin of an angel showed up, right, and said, hey, guess what? God has heard your prayers. Wouldn't that be enough? Wouldn't that be amazing? The angel goes on. says, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. And John's going to grow up to become a famous John. He's going to be John the what? John the Baptist. This is where this whole story starts, right here. And the angel said, he will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will never take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is crazy. Even before he is born. He will bring back many, catch that, many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And why would John need to bring back all the people of Israel? Is because all the people of Israel, most of the people in Israel had abandoned him. They thought God abandoned him, them. And so now he, they've walked away from their faith. And they had good reason to, did they not? God was silent for 700 years. 700 years. It was over. It was a myth. Again, great stories to tell your kid. But God abandoned Israel a long time ago. And the angel continued, and he said, he said to John, and he will go on, or sorry, he said to Zechariah about John, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah, which is an Old Testament prophet. He turned the hearts, to turn the hearts of the parents to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. And then here's John's kind of mission statement, his purpose. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And then check out how Zechariah responds to the angel. This is great. Then Zechariah asks the angel, how can I be sure of this? And then gentlemen, he gets very diplomatic here, right? He says, I am old. I'm an old man. And my wife, she's well along in years. Just well along. <laughs> right? Yeah, gentlemen, the only reason that he's probably said this and made a distinction between very old and well along in years is that years ago he had a conversation about his wife and he probably called her old. And then um, after that beating, uh, he, has <laughs> he never said it again, again. But that's not his only problem because catch this. He's literally asked the angel, are you sure? Right? He's talking to an angel. An angel. And he's like, oh, are you sure? And I love the angel's response, all right? He says, the, the angel said to him, what do you mean? How do I know? I'm Gabriel. I am Gabriel. Gabriel's name literally means mighty one. And catch what he says. He says, I stand in the presence of God. That's awesome right there. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent. And not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true. And this is the best part of the whole entire passage. And this is, this is amazing. Here it is. At the, say this together with me, appointed time. So hold up. Are you telling me? You mean that God had this day marked on his calendar? Yeah. 
he did. You mean that for 700 years, God was waiting? He had a purpose behind all that? Mm -hmm. You mean that God's actually heard my prayers in that amount of time? Yeah, he has. You mean God still cares about me? Oh, yeah, he does. He does. The word Emmanuel that this series is based around literally means God with us. And for generation after generation after generation, for 700 years, they felt like God was not with them. The Jews felt like God abandoned them. And the reality of that was so much different. That God was present throughout that process. He may have been quiet, but he was present in that situation. And it's the same with us. You have may been walking through a lot, and it's been months, maybe even years, maybe even most of your life, God has been silent to you. But that doesn't mean he's not with you. Did you hear me on that? Emmanuel means God with us. And the gift of Christmas is Emmanuel, God with us. It's not stockings. It's not presents. It's not even peace on earth. The gift is God with us. Jesus, the baby in a manger. It's huge. And God was with Zechariah, and he was with Elizabeth, and they didn't even know it. The story continues. Verse 21. It says, meanwhile, the people, or these are the other priests that were waiting outside, were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. In other words, this is not normal. He's taking way too long. Something's going on in there. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them. And I totally always picture this. I love this. It's like he's doing charades, like the most passionate version of charades. There was an angel, right? You know, it's huge. And I can't talk now. And like, you know, he said, I'm going to have a baby, you know, not me, but my wife. So I don't know how that went down, but that is just great picture of the Bible right there. But he remained unable to speak. When the, his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant, as promised. Gosh, that he be, she became pregnant, and for five months she remained in seclusion. And here's what Elizabeth had to say, because we've heard from Zachariah and his situation. But here's how Elizabeth felt in that moment: The Lord has done this for me. In these days, He has shown His favor and taken away. My disgrace among the people. She felt disgraced, even though she was righteous. Even though she did the right thing, even though she was even blameless in what she did, she still felt shame and pain. And God came in, and he took that away, and he answered their prayer. And you guys, this is just the warm-up act, okay? This is the pre-show before the show. This is a conversation before the actual conversation. God is showing his evidence of what he's about to do. He is gearing up for something big, for something big. And this is the beginning of it. And they thought God abandoned them, but he did not. God was with them all along. And so here's how the story ends and how our next story begins. In the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel, the angel Gabriel, it's the same angel, so great, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man, a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. 
this, this is our story, isn't it? Right? Do we stay or do we go? Do I remain faithful or do I give in? Right? I haven't heard from God for a while. He hasn't done anything for me lately. So I move in with that person or do I remain pure? Do I give in to that shady deal or do I just I go the, part, the, the way of integrity? Do I obey God continually even though it puts me in this position where people look at me strange? I'm different. It is countercultural to be a Christian today. It was countercultural to follow Yahweh in that time. And so do we keep on going? Do we keep trying? In every generation, there is a remnant. There is a group. There is a small handful of Christians who even though God is silent, even though he can't, you haven't seen him move, even though the miracle didn't happen in my life and I prayed for it, they remain faithful. Even when God's absent or he appears to be absent. And the good news is, if that is your situation, there is nothing wrong with you. Welcome to the common experience of what does it mean to be a Christian today. Because if you're a faith follower, if you believe in Jesus, then you will at some point walk through this road. And the good news is, it's normal. The challenge is, are you going to be that person? Right? Are you going to be that person? That person that sometimes stands alone and feels alone, even though they're not alone. And the God of the universe is right behind them. He's behind the scenes, right? He's working, he's crafting, he's moving things around, he's putting people in the right place. He's coming through in this way and in that way, and sometimes we just don't see it because it's not our way. Are we going to be that person that is faithful, that is blameless because of the blood of Christ? Are we going to be that person? And Christmas is the reminder that our faith is not misplaced. And best of all, Christmas is a reminder of Emmanuel, that God is with us. And however you walked in this morning and however you feel at this particular point in time, if you feel distant from God or you feel right next to him, God is still with you. He is still with you. No matter how you feel on the inside, he has proved it time and time again. God will not abandon us. He will stick with us. That is his promise. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the promise you gave to Abraham so many years ago. It's crazy to think that's 4,000 years ago. That you talked to him and you said he would be a blessing or he'd be blessed to be a blessing. And then on Christmas Day, you brought in Jesus. In a form that nobody expected. Nobody had any idea that this was coming. It was beautiful, and it was amazing, and it was scary, and it was vulnerable, and it was powerful. It was all those things wrapped into one. A baby wrapped in a manger. And the cousin of that baby was John. And the mother and father of John was Zachariah and Elizabeth. And they were faithful to you when everybody else around them was not. God, I pray for us that we could be like that in this day. As everybody's walking away from you, as everyone's kind of looking at you as a joke in this culture, we're not joking around when we hold tight to you. So God, give us the strength and the courage because that's going to be a hard thing to do. 
that's going to be difficult. So I pray for my brothers and my sisters. I pray for my family. I pray for myself. Would you give us the strength to stand strong and to be faithful, even blameless because of your son in this process of following you. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you for Emmanuel. In your name, amen. So we're going to respond now, or have a chance to respond, in a variety of ways. We do this every once in a while, where we set up stations. I don't want to just be a church where we come in and we watch and we experience. I would love it to actually come in and experience what's actually happening in here. So there's a few ways you can respond. One is there will be communion on the side tables back there, where you can go in and you could partake of the sacrifice that was made from the, the baby that grew up to be a savior. And you can remember the sacrifice that he's given, that he poured his blood out and he broke his body for us on our behalf. That baby grew up to be a man, grew up to be broken, who grew up to be God. It's pretty darn cool. There's also offering boxes back there. If you want to give, we're not going to be passing buckets today or anything like that. You can drop them in there or in the back back there. We have prayer candles. Um, here, this is literally, there's nothing fancy or crazy about this. This is literally just symbolic to say, hey, there's someone in my life. Maybe it's a kid. Maybe it's a son, a daughter, a mom, a dad, a friend, somebody, a coworker that you know is struggling. And you want to come in and intercede on their behalf. This is symbolically a way to do that. To come up here, light a candle, and pray for them. And take them and their request before God. Or maybe today you're here and you're... Um, you're, uh, you're having a hard time, and you need prayer. We have people in the back that would love to pray with you, right underneath the cross back there. And I would encourage you to take, um, to take advantage of that. I know that some of us are like, oh, I don't want to go talk to someone about this. Sometimes talking to someone and literally just having them pray for you, you don't even have to do a dialogue. Just say, well, you pray for me. What would you like me to pray for you about? Well, just pray for me. Okay. And they'll just pray for you at that moment. Sometimes it's nice just to have another voice to pray. And then we're going to also continue in worship. We're going to have three songs to be able to do this response in. So there will be three songs to come up. The first song will be the song, O Holy Night. It's always sung around Christmas time. But there is a line that is written in there. It's written by a French poet. And there's this line that so captures what we just talked about. And the line is this. It says, long lay the world. Okay? What he's talking about there is for hundreds and hundreds of years, long lay the world in sin and air. And then there's a, there's a word we don't use a lot anymore. And the word is pining. And that word pining means longing, it means praying, and it means waiting. Right? Waiting. Long lay the world in sin and air waiting for a Savior. That's exactly what Zechariah, it was exactly what Elizabeth were doing. They were waiting for a Savior. We don't have to wait for a Savior. As they looked forward to Christmas, we get to look back because the Savior has already come. He's already here, and He's available to us now. So let's worship Him together. <laughs> 